Support for Speaking of Travel comes from Asheville Regional Airport, Western North Carolina's gateway to the world. Your safety when traveling to and from Asheville is and always will be our top priority. Asheville Regional Airport. Visit flyavl.com for all your current travel information. Prestige Subaru, offering a variety of new and pre-owned all-wheel drive Subarus. Built with the zero landfill promise, all waste is recycled or reused with more at prestigesubaru.com. And Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours. You'll be at the top of the city as you experience Asheville's history and scenic beauty, historic landmarks, and award-winning rooftop bars. Transportation is provided with tours offered daily, year-round. Find out more at AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Hi, this is Marilyn Ball, and you're listening to Speaking of Travel right here on iHeartRadio 570 WWNC. Now, here's some good news. You can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel or any past episode with a simple click on the Speaking of Travel website, that's speakingoftravel.net, on the iHeartRadio app, iTunes, Google Play, and even Pandora. So you be sure to visit speakingoftravel.net and sign up for the Travel Club because you'll receive the latest in travel news and travel tips, and there are a lot of really inspiring stories to keep your travel dreams alive. Well, let me tell you, speaking of travel dreams, if you haven't stepped foot in an airport since the beginning of this year, There are many changes, and airports are examining how to adapt their very aspect to a post-COVID-19 world. So I'm here with Tina Kinsey. She's the Director of Marketing, PR, and Air Service Development at the Asheville Regional Airport to talk to us a little bit about what you can expect as you begin your journey through airports again as air travel begins to open up again. And Tina, thank you so much. I love having you on Speaking of Travel each week to kind of give us an update on what's happening. Well, I appreciate being here. And, you know, we we continue to hope that there is a lot of new information to share. And some weeks there may be, and some weeks we'll just Uh, continue to educate about what it's like at airports right now. And thank you again for having me. Well, Tina, I know that um, uh, just being status quo, being because you've had to do so much work uh, in the beginning, you know, you had to really lay down a lot of uh, new policy, new um, protocol, and that has pretty much taken hold. So just give us kind of an idea what we can expect when we do come into the airport today. Sure. So one thing that we want to reiterate, it's being talked about in the news every single day, um, is that masks are required. So uh, our team members wear masks and we require that um people who come into the airport also wear masks. And so we appreciate when everyone does their part, um, it is something we are really trying to emphasize um, to anyone who is involved in the travel journey. Another thing that we want to let people know is that we're trying to limit uh, those who don't need to be in the airport. 
so if you do not have a ticket, if you're not flying somewhere and you are maybe dropping someone off or picking someone up from a flight, we ask that you stay in your car. We have a complimentary cell phone waiting lot um, past the terminal, and that's where you can wait. There's no charge. Just stay in your car. And then when your passenger arrives, they can give you a call, and then you just circle right around to the front curb and pick them up. So we are also, you know, doing doing that measure so that we limit the number of people who are in the terminal. I would imagine, though, that there would be some exceptions for somebody who's like an unaccompanied minor or somebody yes. who needed assistance. Great. Yes. Thank you. Uh, absolutely. So if if you if your passenger is someone who needs assistance, so let's say it's an elderly person with mobility issues or any person with mobility issues or an unaccompanied minor, that kind of thing, um, you can certainly come in and assist them uh, to the ticket counter. So until they can get the required assistance um, from a staff member from the airline, and that's perfectly fine. Sure, as long as they're wearing their mask, right? That's right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, good. Well, go ahead. Uh, Well, we encourage the uh, six feet apart social distancing um, outside of your travel group, and we've got reminders of that throughout the airport Um, We have overhead announcements. We have digital LCD signage. You know, we're really trying to um, surround the traveler with these kinds of reminders. We do have um, one thing that we've been asked is where are the hand sanitizer stations? Well, for many months, they were on back order. The supply chain has really been... um, uh, strapped in some regards. And for us, we could not get those supplies for many months. So we did not have hand sanitizing stations for a while. But I that is something new that happened this week. The supply came in. So we have quickly deployed all of those um, stations throughout the airport in key areas. So that has happened. But we also encourage people that hand washing is really better So wash your hands frequently throughout the travel journey, 20 seconds each time and use your hand sanitizer, you know, as a, um, an in-between measure, a backup. And we've blocked off seating to promote social distancing. Um, And then we have enhanced cleaning procedures in the airport, which we find um, that our customers really appreciate. The hand washing? No, the enhanced cleaning procedures. Oh, the so, enhanced um, cleaning procedures that you have at the airport in place. That's right. Yes. Talk yeah. about that a little bit. Sure. So we have um, our custodians are working diligently to clean hard services um, throughout the terminal frequently throughout the day. We're using, you know, the the best disinfectant um, materials uh, for that. And we've purchased what are called electrostatic sprayers. And these are backpack units uh, that have disinfectant in them, liquid disinfectant that is then turned into a mist uh, when you squeeze the nozzle on a sprayer and you can disinfect large Uh, surface areas, hard to reach surface areas very quickly and efficiently, and the viruses and other germs are killed almost instantly on those surfaces. So those are being used frequently throughout the day. 
Wow, it sounds very, very clean and and safe. And that's what we're going to be looking for as we move forward and start to go to the airport again. So, Tina, do you have any tips as far as, um, I know, you know, still the protocol would be make sure that you get to the airport in, on time. What's What's it like just going through screening today? Well, you know, you're you're not bumper to bumper traffic in the screening line. You know, the numbers of passengers are lower than they were this time last year. So it's easier to spread out. Um, and we ask that people do that in the line. Um, everyone has on a mask. The TSA agents um, have lots of protective measures in place as well. Um, you have to, some new protocols have been put in place. For instance, if you have food that you are bringing on board an aircraft with you, um, TSA asks that you remove that and screen it separately, put it in a separate bin so it can be screened Um just like you would a laptop or those kinds of things. Um, and that helps expedite screening and reduce uh, potential um, alerts that require the TSA officers to physically go through your luggage and touch everything, you know, as they look through it. So that's why that measure is in place. Um, so, you know, things like that. Oh, and you are allowed to bring a larger bottle, greater than the 3.4 ounce rule, a larger bottle of hand sanitizer. Each traveler can do that. Well, that is really good news. I think that everybody would be happy to bring on more hand sanitizer. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And one thing, Marilyn, that we're noticing um, day by day is that more and more travelers are you know, falling into line with all of these measures. So people really are doing their part. They are wearing their masks. They're keeping their distance. They are respecting one another, you know, as we all try to get through this together. And it really does make the travel journey even safer. Well, to me, it becomes the airports uh, are really becoming the models, like a little microcosm of what we all can are capable of doing and being able to rise to that occasion and, uh, and have, you know, adhere to protocols that are only there to protect you and your fellow, uh, uh, passengers. That's right. And we're all doing our best. Um, and we thank everyone out there for doing your best and we are ready to welcome travelers when you're ready to take that trip. Well, thank you, Tina, so much. And I know that there are, uh, you've got flights uh, every day that are coming and going uh, to different locations. You've got some nonstop destinations and all of that is is still moving along, right? It is moving along. We have we don't have the same frequency of flights during the day, but pretty close, you know, we've, we've lost very little frequency um, in the whole scheme of things. However, I do caution if you are traveling, you know, stay in touch with your airline. Um, They are still making slight changes here and there, depending on things that may be happening in other regions of the country that require them to reduce their frequencies or maybe consolidate flights. You may get updates about the fact that your flight time has changed or, you know, those kinds of things. And that's because the airlines are responding real time to what's happening in our country and trying their best to um, continue to operate these these massive businesses, um, even with 
such a, a hard, hard environment in which to do so. Well, they definitely have strived to continue to become even more sophisticated uh, versions of themselves. Uh, the restrictions continue to change and they rise to, to that occasion. And Tina, yeah. how can we get more information from the Asheville Regional Airport and stay on top of what you're doing? Sure. So our website is always great, flyavl.com. We're on all the social media channels and you can find links to those on our website. And we are about to send out our monthly e-newsletter. It's called Window Seat. And we have a, almost 200,000 subscribers to this e-newsletter. Uh, we only send it once a month. And if you want to get the next one, hop on our website and sign up. The sign up is right there on the homepage. Well, we're definitely going to get on board, Tina. So thank you again. I appreciate you coming in, being able to uh, give us these updates. And again, I just want to give a big shout out to all the people who are on your team and who are there every day ensuring that our safety and our sanitation uh, is, is top notch so that when we're ready, you're ready, like you said. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Marilyn. All right. Well, this is Marilyn Ball. Coming up is Mag Diamond. She is the award-winning author of Bowing to Elephants, Tales of a Travel Junkie. Well, I'm feeling like I'm kind of a travel junkie who's not getting my fix. As a fellow traveler, she's going to share with us some ways to stay calm and stay sane in these changing times. We'll be right back. It's summertime in Subieville, which means it's time for adventure here in western North Carolina. Or more aptly, time to get outdoors and outgoing down a road less traveled. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And off the beaten path, nothing says tough like the tried and true reliability of an all-wheel drive Subaru. There's a reason why 97% of Subarus sold in the last 10 years are still on the road today and ready for the next adventure. Discover the beauty of all-wheel drive at Prestige Subaru, 585 Tunnel Road, Nashville, or visit us online at PrestigeSubaru.com. Hi, it's Kay, the owner of Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours. We share our beautiful city in the mountains of Western North Carolina from the rooftops with people from our community, around the country, and around the world. Our tours are well known for the spectacular scenery, the award-winning rooftop bars, and the captivating city history we share from the rooftops. We take traveling during these COVID-19 recovering times seriously. We've implemented CDC cleaning and sanitation protocols, require staff health screenings before our tours, and provide our tour guests with face coverings if they need one. We are excited to welcome you on an Asheville rooftop bar tour and provide a way for you to safely experience Asheville from a bird's eye view. To learn more, visit AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Thanks so much to Tina Kinsey of the Asheville Regional Airport for her update. We're all so grateful that our airport is committed to following best practices and enhancing the health and safety of everyone on their travel journey. You know, sometimes I feel a little down thinking of the families and businesses that are being affected by COVID-19. And sometimes I have to tell you, I just want to stomp my feet and cry about the unfairness of it all. 
And then I feel guilty for focusing so much on my own feelings of disappointment, especially around not being able to travel right now. And in case no one has given you permission to do the same, I'm saying go ahead. If you want to cry about the trip you've been planning for a year going down the drain, go ahead and cry. But remember that travel is a state of mind, and you don't have to go far away to feel far away. And so when we have to dream about that next big trip, because the time will come when the answers are clearer and the future is more knowable, and when it does, travel is going to be what helps us start moving forward again. Well, one thing that is really keeping me connected and inspired these days is listening to stories by people who have traveled around the world, especially people who were traveling and still are traveling in their head, seeking self-discovery and healing and especially food. You know how I feel about food and travel. Well, my guest today has been a world traveler since she was 11. Mag Diamond is the award-winning author of Bowing to Elephants, Tales of a Travel Junkie. And she's going to help us, maybe help us practice staying calm and staying sane in these changing times. And Mag, thank you so much for being here today on Speaking of Travel. Oh, I'm really happy to be here. I look forward to the conversation. Well, Meg, you, uh, you know, 11 years old, That's uh, you've been traveling a long time. Why don't you give us a little bit of, uh, of your backstory and how you started traveling and, and even the inspiration for your book? Well, when I was 11, my mother decided um, uh, she was newly remarried uh, to my stepfather. She decided she wanted to go live in Italy. And um, and my mother was a very willful character and she usually did what she thought she wanted to do. She had an independent income and so had a lot of freedom. So, uh, you know, we, she packed us up and off we went to, to live in Florence and, and then ultimately two years in Rome after that. Um, why she chose Italy, um, anybody's guess, except she loved art and uh, she loved beautiful things. And she was also, you're just a fan um, of things Italian, like many people are. So there we were, you know, and I went to a um, school for um, expatriates in Florence. And then I went to an international school in Rome and I learned Italian. And I, we had an Italian woman living with us who, who taught me about the magic in the kitchen. And um, I was an only kid. So I spent a lot of time watching the adults in my life. Um, and especially this woman who, who cooked for us and we had conversations and that's, so that's how I really got steeped in, in just in speaking. Um, so that was the beginning of it. And then, you know, I came back and went through high school and college or I didn't go all the way through college cause I detoured to get married. And, and then that was a rather large detour. <laughs> and, but then I decided to pick up the travel thing. And so um, I, talked my husband into travel. We traveled in Europe and we took our kids to Mexico. We had kids. We took our kids to Mexico and I kept that kind of thing going. And then, um, then that marriage um, came to an end and I went on another long adventure with another person, an artist. And during that period, I did a ton of traveling and I, I didn't really have any ties to anything. I, um, I wasn't, um, I wasn't working full time. I, I was a teacher of writing, but I, 
but I had a very flexible way of doing my teaching. So we went, we went everywhere. I mean, we went to China, we went to, in, you know, when we went to uh, Southeast Asia, of course, all over Europe, South America, that kind of thing, went to Cuba. Uh, so yeah, I just, it was, it was a way I wanted to live my life because I, I was very curious about the world outside the United States. And um, I feel from having lived abroad at a young age and understanding how rich the world is outside the United States, that it's, it's a wonderful thing to dedicate yourself to, to go out and f- to discover and answer some questions for yourself, you know? Um, so that's sort of the, big trajectory. And the book came about because I, at a certain point, decided that I had all this, these documentation of, of um, all the journals that I had written uh, with all in, during my travels. And I thought that would make a really great book. And, you know, I had written little bits and pieces throughout my life, as well as teaching writing. And I felt this sort of, as I got older, this obligation to write a book. And, um, like, you know, okay, I'm running out, I may run out of time here, so I, I probably should do this. And so I went back to the journals and I tried and I figured out how to fabricate a, um, first it was going to be a collection of essays. But then my, my, my history kind of crept in there, the characters of my past. And so it became a mixture of travel and, um, and childhood history and, you know, childhood uh, experiences. Well, when you travel, you definitely learn so much about yourself, and I think uh, the importance of documenting those travel experiences, like you were saying, being able to journal, being able to look back on on all of the history. But I do have to ask, Bowing to Elephants, where did the title come from? <laughs> uh, well, it, it came from uh, me falling in love with, an, with, a, with a, an elephant, actually on my first uh, safari in Kenya, uh, I've, I've been to Kenya three times now. And, um, but when I f- first saw this elephant uh, up fairly close, I mean, as close as is safe for one to be with an elephant, you're in a vehicle and you're with these other fellow safari people. But I remember having this moment where I was looking in this elephant's eyes and I w- didn't have my camera. I didn't point my camera at her. I was just looking at her. And I felt she was really looking at me. And I just had this incredible feeling of being moved and being touched and uh, of this kind of affection that this animal, you know, represented to me. And um, so I became obsessively curious about elephants. And so while I was in Africa, of course, I asked tons of questions and learned as much as I could. And then when I came home, I read about elephants and you know, had them on my brain. And then I went back and I went back, you know, like I say, twice after that. Um, and I just, I realized that the, what the elephant represented for me was this incredible wisdom and this maternal love that um, makes, actually makes the elephant so remarkably important. Um, it's, a you know, the elephant is a manifestation of wisdom and, and the retaining of memory. And when I thought about writing a memoir and, you know, how we, we struggle with our memory when we're writing, you know, that, because we, we know we can't, rem- you know, recall everything. But, well, 
I'm going to pay, I want to pay respect to the elephant and her memory. But the other part of it was um, that the elephants, the, the love the elephant carries for her, for her children uh, was something that I didn't have growing up. I didn't have a maternal uh, uh, woman who tended me. Um, she put up with me and, and she dragged me along through her life, but um, she didn't know how to be maternal. And there was something that was so important that because my mother was really so key in my in my backstory of my of my of my life, um, my both my feeling of abandonment and then my ultimate forgiveness of her, you know. So the elephant seemed to be a good, you know, link to all of that. And and but the bowing part of it has to do with my Buddhist practice and has to do with the way that that in the buddhist world we bow to to others to show our respect to show our uh, our witnessing of the dignity of other humans and uh and in asia you know people that's how they greet each other they do a little bow and they put their hands together and um in many countries they do that so that's sort of how that all pieced together it took a long time to find the title but boy when i found it i was like I was intoxicated. I was so happy. <laughs> well, was- you're intoxicating me right now, Mag. I, I feel that story, and I, too, have looked in the eye of an elephant, and it is, it is an experience of uh, deep, deep respect. When we come back, I want to I talk more about your Buddhist practice, uh, the way that we can really focus on forgiveness, as you were talking about, and how all of that plays into travel and meeting new people and being part of other cultures and and what we can learn from from humanity. I'm here with Mag Diamond. We're talking about her book, Bowing to Elephants, Tales of a Travel Junkie. As I said earlier in the show, I feel like I'm a bit of a travel junkie myself and having a bit of a longing for that time again. So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute. If you want to truly experience a city, dart at the top. With Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, you'll capture the true spirit of Asheville, North Carolina on our one-of-a-kind award-winning tours. You'll experience our city's highly acclaimed rooftop bars, see Asheville's scenic beauty and historic landmarks, and feel the history of our city unfold before you, all on this uniquely crafted tour. We take care of every detail, including band show for transportation, sample cocktails and mocktails at each rooftop bar, and there's plenty of snacks and bottles water on the band to enjoy between stops. Come see why Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours is top of the city and top of mind for the best things to do in Asheville, North Carolina. To learn more, visit AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. Green is good. Local food, less oil. Renewable energy, sustainable peace. Tree hugger. Say no to GMOs. Be kind to animals. Don't eat them. Go solar. Coexist. Don't buy a dog, rescue one. Keep Asheville weird. We just read the bumper stickers on the back of a Subaru. Welcome to Subiville, Prestige Subaru. On the web at PrestigeSubaru.com. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. And let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. 
Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and I'm here today with Mag Diamond. Mag is the award-winning author of Bowing to Elephants, Tales of a Travel Junkie. And Mag, it's just such a, um, it really is such a great honor even to have you on my show today. I've been following you for, for a while and um, I get your e-newsletters that, uh, with your meditations, and uh, there's just such a, a, a beauty about uh, your sharing with us these uh, revelations that have occurred throughout your lifetime, your lifetime of travel, um, and, and I'm just so happy to have you here on the show today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I love it. So, Meg, we were talking earlier about um, uh, the way that your book came about and your your trips to um, to Africa, the story of the elephants. Give us an idea of uh, your travels and and the connections that you made throughout throughout your lifetime with people of all different cultures. Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and I made connections in different places and uh, needless to say, um, from the time, uh, well, when I was in Africa, I became very close to this Kenyan uh, man called uh, Julius, who was a, was our private uh, sort of trip leader uh, two diff- on two different instances. And he became a family friend for both myself and my daughter and my grandchildren who were along for the ride. So he, I, we consider him part of our family. Uh, he's a very wise young man. Uh, he um, he loves his country. He loves his land, and he knows everything there is to know about the creatures that inhabit it. Um, when I was in Bhutan, I, I formed a wonderful alliance with a man called Karma, which I love the fact that his name was Karma, and he was my guide while I was in Bhutan for ten days. And we didn't do trekking uh, like a lot of people do in Bhutan. We we did a lot of road trips, and I visited. We visited monasteries and and different villages. And he talked to me about his about his his tradition, the traditions of the, of the Bhutanese, and and about the way of life. And he and I both took photographs together. He um, he he was sort of an amateur photographer, and I had an extra camera. So I gave him the camera and he, um, he got, had a lot of fun taking pictures. Uh, he got me invited to see a private family cremation, which was an astonishing, um, um, uh, event for me and my, probably one of the most striking and dramatic events of any of my travels where I got to part, just be a participant, um, you know, in, in a quiet way and watch the family, uh, who were witnessing the burning of their, uh, of their matriarch. Uh, so that was kind of astonishing and it wouldn't have happened had he and I not hit it off so well. He had once tried the monastic life and wanted to be, uh, you know, wanted to lead the spirit, go the spiritual path, but he then admitted with a smile and laugh that he didn't have the discipline. Uh, so he became a travel uh, guide instead. And that way he got to meet a lot of people. So that was a great connection. Um, you know, I, I've made, uh, I mean, those are friendships that are are kind of really embedded in as I look back on my travel experiences. Um, but I had another remarkable sort of um, 
repeated encounter in Venice in, in Italy uh, with a, a young man who was a, a printer and he um, had this little print shop and an out of the way place that I discovered um, uh, just by, by happenstance. And he did everything manually. He had nothing, uh, he had nothing technological in his print shop and he was doing it the old fashioned way. He was setting the type. He had these several massive printers in there. The whole place smelled like ink and, and books and, and, and there was beautiful paper everywhere. And he and I just hit it off and, um, I wanted to get him to print some business cards for me. He didn't do credit cards. He didn't, you know, he didn't, he, he didn't do a lot of things that other business people do. And, um, and I loved that about him. He apparently had apprenticed with some monks and they had taught him some of the secret techniques of the, of the printing endeavor. So, um, and I loved all that because I, I love the idea of how we learn things and how we can learn things by just working alongside people. Anyway, John, his name is John Nibasso. And he, uh, again, I can see every feature of his face now. And every time I go back to Venice, I go find him and I talk to him. Uh, he doesn't speak much English and that's fine because I'm actually fluent in Italian. Um, and, uh, you know, he, every time I look at one of the cards that he's made for me, I, I flash back to that, that, that tiny little print shop, uh, filled with these beautiful things. And, um, and people from all over the, all over discovered him. You could tell by the notes that were stuck on his wall that people had found him. And I love that about, you know, this, he would never have shown up in a guidebook, but, but anyway, it was this great discovery. And that's what is travel right there is the great discovery. And so here we are, we're in a situation now where, you know, meeting people by happenstance, strolling down a, a lane that maybe isn't on the guidebook or even in your itinerary, but just happens to be outside uh, the Airbnb where you're staying or the hostel where you're staying. Uh, you know, most people right now are kind of, uh, for a better word, they're, they're uh, shut in. They're, they're locked, you know, they're, we're on lockdown or we're just slowly starting to emerge out of this uh, this situation, uh, give us an idea, Mag, if you don't mind, of of what your uh, we uh, just what what is your take on how people can can really stay in that groove of uh, that mindset of a traveler in in this time right now? Well, you know, one of the things. Actually, there's several things I think one could do to kind of remind oneself of that, of the importance of that. One would be uh, to read books, you know, to read books that are are written by people like myself, perhaps, who have who have had many adventures and write I'm mean, in a totally non-guidebook way about places, you know, from very sort of personal perspectives. Um, there's a lot of good travel writing out there. And um, I had one, one of the favorite people that I have read a lot of is Paul Thoreau, who's written a whole pile of books um, of, of his travels and, and he's been everywhere. Um, and in little, they're in S they're in short form, you know, you, it's like reading a bunch of little short essays, 
and it takes you someplace and you can see you can see the experiences um i mean the other thing you know uh, i'm a visual person and i i like to look at um films and documentaries and i think there's a lot of of great um stuff like that that you can partake of where i mean yes you're I escape like anyone else into entertainment because the life is so constrained and, and there is this sense of, of sort of loneliness that we have in this time. But, you know, if I turn on an episode of Anthony Bourdain's um, Hearts Unknown, uh, I'm, I'm off with him, you know, it's like, and um, he had such a gift for uh, both, you know, the storytelling, the, the way those things were filmed was, was, was so you were really right in the, in the mix with him. You could smell the smells and, and, you know, everything. So that would be a way that I would, I would remind myself of, of this great kind of choice in life, which is to be an adventurer. Um, but we can do it in our own towns. You know, we can, I sometimes, you know, walk uh in san i live in san francisco i walk a, a lot with my dog and i sometimes walk in different parts take a different few streets and i look at houses and i try to imagine I'm, i feel like i'm a visitor in a way and i imagine I wonder about the people that live there and i wonder you know whether there's a family or not and you know what they're doing with themselves and um i particularly like w walking uh, around uh, at night when the windows are lit up and I can kind of see into people's windows. I did, I wrote about that in, uh, in the chapter on Venice. And uh, it was a, one of my sort of favorite little bits that I wrote in that book where I was in a square and I was looking up and there was this beautiful window and it was lit up and it was the color inside the room was, was very warm. It was a kind of a, a, a warmish reddish Brown. And I just, I could imagine the people in the room and, all that. And so I sort of do that in, in, you know, I, I try to do that in my sort of daily life too, is kind of have that sense of being the observer and the, the watcher, you know, of, of, of life. Well, I think that's a, a kind of a microcosm even uh, when you can just focus on, on the nearness of your community, what's happening right around you and the people that are, that are there doing their thing and then the day comes when you can go out a little bit further and you go to another neighborhood and then another and someday we'll get back on a plane and be able to go someplace and feel like we've never really left that groove. Well, I'm here today with Mag Diamond. Mag is talking to us from San Francisco. We're talking about travel. We're, uh, we're looking at um, resources to kind of get us through this time. And Mag, before we go to break, tell us your website so people can get more information. Sure. Uh, it's, it's Mag Diamond, M-A-G-D-I-M-O-N-D uh, dot com. So there's no A in my name, D-I-M-O-N-D. So yeah, magdiamond.com. It has a lot. It has a blog uh, collection. It has a whole gallery of photographs that I've taken on my all my trips. Um, and it's got news about the book, of course, and, and various things that, I, that I'm doing, you know. Well, when we come back, I want to hear more about what you're doing, what you're looking forward to doing, and talk a little bit more about your book, because I'm just mesmerized with, uh, as I was reading it, the 
the revelations that come as you uh, go through your journey. This is Marilyn Ball. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. Hi, this is Leanne from Biltmore. Are you looking for some simple ways to spend quality time with your family and friends? Then look no further. Biltmore is now open and you can wander through historic gardens, along winding trails with plenty of room to spread out all in one spectacular setting. Ride your bike, have a picnic, take a tour of America's largest home, Biltmore House, right here in our own backyard in Asheville, North Carolina. George Vanderbilt created Biltmore as a relaxed country retreat away from the pressures of city life. A Biltmore annual pass allows you to visit the estate an unlimited number of times throughout the year. You can make Biltmore a new experience every time you step onto the estate. Where else can you find beautiful gardens, four mountain seasons, and eight 8,000 acres to explore. Build memories by keeping your family time creative and enjoyable. Visit the Biltmore website at Biltmore.com for all of the information and come on over. We would love to see you. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and I'm here with Mag Diamond. And Mag is the award-winning author of Bowing to Elephants, Tales of a Travel Junkie. And Mag, we've been talking about uh, travel and, and connections and meeting people, looking elephants in the eye, so many positive and wonderful ways of making connections. But one thing that you were talking about earlier that I want to spend a little bit more time talking about is writing, because you are a writer. And you talked about what it was like when you were growing up and and keeping journals and looking back on all of your uh, adventures and your travels and being able to kind of put that together into your travel memoir if you will. So let's talk a little bit about that because a lot of people think, well, I'm not a writer. I don't really write, but anybody can write. And probably writing now is more important than ever, wouldn't you think? Yeah. No, I think, uh, I think especially when we're dealing with the, this sort of combination of circumstances and, you know, and deprivations and all that, that we're not prepared for, it's we're we're left with a lot of uh, confused feelings or emotions are sort of all upended. Um, we have a lot of questions. We have a lot of discomfort, uh, both in our minds and perhaps also in our bodies because our bodies, we're not maybe moving our bodies as much as we would like. And, and so everything is sort of different. And um, I have always found that, I mean, the way that I have coped with, kind of understanding my life is by writing stuff down um you know exactly where that came from and like where the seed was actually originated i'm not sure but when my stepfather gave me that first journal back when i was 11 and he modeled the, the behavior of writing in the journal he um he did drawings in his journal more than his writings he was a beautiful uh he drew beautiful images with uh, with pen and ink. Um, and I just love this idea of the documenting. And I had the sense that if I didn't document, I would forget. Uh, and I think, um, and then coming up to sort of present day, you know, I think 
this is an extraordinary moment in, in everybody's lives and it is worth documenting. And um, even if it's, it's confusing and even if what you put down on the page doesn't sound coherent or whatever, it's, it's, it's because you won't remember it all later. You really won't remember how it felt, you know, when you went to the neighborhood park and, and nobody would talk to you because everybody was so freaked out. I mean, there was a time when nobody was talking to anybody. It's a little different now here in San Francisco, but there was a point where everybody was in their own little tiny bubble and it was, it was freaky. And so, and, and, you know, we're social animals. And so it's important to, to write and, and sort of record what that's like. Um, And, you know, whether it becomes anything down the road is really not the point. Uh, because when I wrote all those journals through all those years, I didn't know that I would turn turn into a book. I just knew I had to record my experience that 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 um that I that, that I would I felt it would be of value in some way. Um, but now I think you know I know people that write for for therapeutic purposes. They write, they wake up first thing in the morning and they and they write what kind of comes through their consciousness right away. Um, I don't do that, but I know there's value in it. Um, but when, when I when I went and I went to live with my daughter for two months in the beginning of the pandemic, she lives out in the country, and I needed to get out of the urban environment. And so I so I uh, I did, I promised myself I would write every day in my journal what I called it COVID days, you know. And I started with day one, and then I wrote what that day was like. And then I wrote day two and then I went all the way through for the whole time that I was there because I really wanted to be able to understand the, because the changeability of experience was so paramount, you know, that one day you could be feeling sort of okay. And then the next day you would be nervous, 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 or you'd be sad or, you know, you'd, um, yeah, or you'd have this cravings for food or you'd, or you'd watch three hours of stuff on television that you couldn't even remember later, but you were just doing it to numb yourself. So, you know, all those things important to, to kind of understand, you know, what our experience is. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it, and it goes back to even what you were talking about um, in regard to traveling. It's there's it being able to, um, have that sense of this is what I'm looking at. This is what I'm seeing right now. Uh, a lot of people, including me, like to take pictures. I have become uh, addicted to w- taking my walk, having my phone, and taking pictures of um, plants and and vegetation and flowers. At the end of this year, I'm going to put together this amazing covid calendar <laughs> of just flowers that i've uh focused right. in on because every you know i'm trying to find the magic i'm trying to find the um the familiar like yeah there are so many things that are beyond our control right now but here's what's familiar every day uh, uh this flower is growing bigger uh, this tree is growing new buds that are now becoming a flower and the same thing is true with with writing I think um and being Buddhist 
Mag, let's just talk a little bit about that too, because, you know, that um, practice is uh, so important uh, in these times, in any time, but especially now. Let's talk a little bit about that and, and how that kind of um, manifests even into uh, into your daily life. Well, it's, um, I've been sitting for practicing for about over 20 years. Um, and, uh, I'm, I am filled eternally here with great gratitude that I have this practice. I mean, I'm, I sit, I meditate every morning. Um, I, when I go to the park with my dog, um, and she runs around and plays, uh, I, I just try to feel my, you know, the thing about mindfulness practice is that if you can stay in the present moment, you're really okay because the present moment keeps evolving into another present moment. And, and what you see is the sort of amazing um, impermanence of everything. You know, if things, you know, there's, there's the flower looks one way, you know, in moment in the first moment, and then you can look at it again and it'll look different. And, or the next day it will look different. Um, and, or the, or you'll be looking at the birds and, and, um, and of course they're always doing different things and flitting about and, and leading their, their busy lives. But, um, it's, it's to see yourself. If, if you can see yourself in this mix of sort of ever changing reality, um, and, and, and really embrace this idea of impermanence, then you then ideally you suffer less because you there's nothing to hold on to you can't say uh, i'm going to have this moment of happiness for the rest of the day you know i mean you could say that but it's not going to happen you know you you might have a moment of happiness uh, after eating a, a a beautiful piece of fruit or you know or some cookies or something but but then that's gone and, and, um, and then there are other moments will show up and uh, you might have a nice encounter with somebody out there on the street. There might, somebody might spontaneously say, good morning, you know, have a night or have a nice day or something. And even though you can't see their mouths, which I find highly frustrating, um, you have this pleasant moment, this, this, this feeling of warmth that comes through you, but then it's gone. And then, you know, the next people you pass, uh, will not be saying hello and how are you or anything like that. And so it's, we have to really become much bigger than we think, than we think we are uh, in our hearts and in our minds that allow for everything to happen there and, um, and not feel like we can fix it. And it's very hard because everything keeps repeating itself where I call it our groundhog day, you know, syndrome we're in. It's like every day. And um, so my mindfulness practice just really, it anchors me. It anchors me in this thing of uh, this state of um, this is the way it is. And it's really okay. You know, and um, I'm doing everything I can to take care of myself. And I'm staying in touch with the people I love. And I'm doing things that are important to me and maybe to the world. I'm doing all I can. And, and yes, I'm going to be sad. That's going to be part of it. To, to think we can get through any of this without being sad or angry, uh, that's highly, you know, 
improbable. <laughs> but the point is, in, in Buddhist practice, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, and, and it doesn't feel good to be angry, and it doesn't feel good to be sad. But, but it's part of our life our life journey. It is part of our life journey. And and Meg, I have to thank you so much for being part of our life journey. Now we're connected and you're connected. Uh, how can we all get connected to you and be able to follow uh, your your thoughts and, and read your book and, and connect with you? Well, you can connect with me on, you know, magdiamond.com. And there's a way to sign up for my, uh, for my email list. And I send out fairly regular messages and sometimes little mini essays and so on. I am, uh, I've been doing a Facebook live thing for the last two months, but I'm stopping that. But in the fall, I'm going to actually launch my own podcast. I'm very excited. So that'll be, uh, it'll be called Bowing to Elephants Podcast, I think. And uh, I'm really thrilled that I, because I've, I've enjoyed the process so far. And that news of that will, of course, be on my website. You know, that, that'll, that'll show up on, on my website. And I have all this other social media stuff and Facebook, you know, um, my Facebook page is Travels with Mag. <laughs> so it's Facebook.com Travels with Mag. Like, I have an author page. So that's another way to find out. And then buying my book, I want people to buy the book through independent booksellers. I want them to avoid Amazon, if at all possible. Um, and um, there's, you know, IndieBound.com is a, a site that'll tell you where your local independent bookstores are. They need our help. They need our support. They do indeed. Well, thank you so much, Mag, for being here on Speaking of Travel today. It's it's just been such a pleasure, and I look forward to staying in touch and and listening to your podcast when that time comes, and and even having you back on the show sometime and catching us up on where you've been, what you're doing. So yeah, I I I'd love that. Great. Thanks a lot for inviting me, Marilyn. Oh, this it's is- my pleasure. Thank you, Mag. Well, this okay. is Marilyn Ball. You've been listening to Speaking of Travel. I've been here with Mag Diamond, and I think this is a great week for all of us to think about uh, the moment. Think about being in the present. It really is going to give you so much more rounded to uh, to really focus on where you are right now. Go out for a walk. Take a take a walk through your neighborhood. Get a journal. Start writing. Take pictures. Just be in the moment. Have fun. Stay on that adventure. Dream big. Because remember, life is short. Don't postpone joy. 